Hi guys, I'm Joe Katz. Welcome to the Katz Walk. I am so excited today to have Tone Bell, actor, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. He is going to share with you some of his exciting stories of starting in stand-up comedy and then landing his key role in the United States versus Billy Holiday. Check it out. Tone Bell's in the house. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Well, thank you so much for joining my show. I have so much to ask you. I saw your special on Amazon, which was great. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. I did some research. I appreciate you doing a little bit of research. Yes, I got to I gotta know a little bit more about Tone. But um, And we want to talk about um, United States versus Billie Holiday. That was fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, man, that was that was a that was a different one, but I loved it. Yeah. That was really really interesting. We'll get more into that too, but I want to just start out, you know, I always, you know, here I am with my bow tie because I'm a stylist, so I'm into fashion and I style people and I do everything with fashion, but I like to know a little bit more about like, you know, everybody talks about the roles you've done and da da da, da but I like to know a little bit more about like who you are, like, who is Tone Bell? And like, how did you grow up? And where did you come from? And I'd like to just know a little bit more about your life. So I just wanted to know, growing up, where did you grow up? I grew up just outside of Atlanta. Like, uh, that's where I'm from, Atlanta, Georgia, just southeast Stone Mountain, Decatur, Georgia, Um, about 15, 20 minutes outside the city. But I kind of, I would say I kind of grew up all over. It's a, I spent majority of like the school year in in Atlanta and then every summer I'd get shipped off to you know extended family in St. Louis or Chicago and so I've been kind of like bouncing back and forth basically kind of like my whole life so uh but like I guess my formative years were mostly Atlanta. And what was life like like growing up? Did you grow up like in a just a normal kind of family? Was it just very everyday like white picket fence? Not a lot of white picket fences but uh, yeah, mom and dad still together. They're from St. Louis originally. And then kind of every few years, I would say things got better, you know, you know, from an apartment to a small, you know, lower class and then lower middle class. And then, you know, by the time I was in probably high school, midday through high school was lower middle class, or I, I would say probably middle class by then. And then by the time I went to college, uh, luckily I got a scholarship. So parents were like breathing a little easier. And, and uh, yeah, so, you know, now they're comfortable, but I mean, it was, you know, just, Kind of like the struggle, two parents hustling. They both had two jobs growing up. Um, really? I grew up kind of in that, um, I mean, definitely suburban, but not like gated community. Uh, still lo- saw a lot of, you know, crazy shit growing up. I wouldn't say I, I was too overprotected, but I, but, I, but I saw a lot growing up. I mean, you know, I'm, I, my buddy James Davis has a joke called hood adjacent, but so I, was, I guess I was pretty hood adjacent. Um, uh, yeah, I mean... As much as I didn't live in the shit, I was across the street from it. And and just being a teenager just got, in, you know, some trouble here and there and just, you know, probably trying to be something I wasn't. But kind of get into performing arts in high school and, you know, took theater classes, not at really the theater school, but um, started doing sketch comedy with this with this kind of like uh, group that was associated with my high school that I went to. I ended up going to a, like a private, a shitty private high school, actually. Uh, but also, you know, on the other side of, of being a black teenager in Atlanta, I mean, you know, I've, I've been to the parties and had to run from gunfire and seeing people get jumped and people get shot and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I mean, it's a wide array of, I guess, childhood, you know, so 
then went to college in Savannah and, and um, graduated 2004 from Savannah State. Uh, then kind of mm. hopped around, went to San Francisco for an ad agency job, taught first grade before I did that, and worked for Anheuser Bush for about seven years, corporate, moonlighting, doing comedy at night. Um, did a small stint of uh, corporate work in Miami, New Orleans, and then I spent the most time in Dallas, is where I got my comedy career started. And then, kind of mm. when I realized sales and marketing wasn't for me, and I fell in love with stand up, and then 2011 moved to moved to LA. Wow, what a background! I I heard all because I watched your special and you were talking about going to work for Anheuser Busch, and I want to get into that because it's interesting that like you go from that to this to this, and where you are today is awesome. But when you say you saw a lot of things, because I grew up in the Midwest, I grew up in Iowa, and then I moved to Minneapolis and New York and LA, and you know I've seen so many different things, and we all go through different things. But when you say was it was it like dangerous in your neighborhood or not really? No, no. When you well, were in, the, up? in the I would say by the time I was in junior high, high school, kind of like the eighth, ninth grade, I guess when I was thirteen, fourteen. Uh, I think our neighborhood was pretty. I mean, it's probably the most diverse neighborhood, and my parents still live in that house. But uh, I would say we had very few. I would say white neighbors or diverse neighbors. It was probably predominantly black neighborhood or whatever. But I mean, very nice neighborhood. Uh, and then by the time I got to high school, junior high, high school, it was like probably a lot of, I guess like the only white neighbors I had were probably old as fuck. <laughs> they, they were all super old. But I mean, it was a good neighborhood of just like a nice working class, like black community. But I wouldn't even call it a neighborhood. I guess it was kind of a, it was more of a suburb, but it wasn't like a, you know, you you drive into a neighborhood with like a sign in front of, this is, you know, Wil- Wilshire Downs or some shit like that. It wasn't like, there wasn't, oh, we yeah. didn't have like a label of the neighborhood. Right, uh, right. But, it was but just it was, a neighborhood. It was just a neighborhood, yeah. But everybody, you know, took care of their house. You know, I mean, it was, it was dope. It, it was, um, it was definitely like a different feeling of that neighborhood from 12, 13, 14, from five six years before that, because it was a little, a little different, you know, it was, it was, it was, um, I would say that was a little more dangerous, but like, you don't know as a kid, you know, you don't know what you see, you just see your neighbors, but you know, your mom's like, Hey, I, you, I need to be able to see you. Whereas by the time I was 12, 13, it was like the neighborhood was a little more, I don't know if it was safe. It was just, it, it, I think it was, you could trust it a little more and she didn't mind, you know, mm. it's like, you know, we know the neighbors now and like, and, and, you know, your, your friends down the street, their parents do what, what we do and, and they want to see the best uh-huh. for us. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but by that time, you know, I was, I was, you know, cutting grass in the summer if I, you know, a week after and, uh, the weekends playing baseball and soccer and, and basketball. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I definitely watched the levels, you know, as a kid of my parents do better and want more. And, uh, I mean, I was never the kid that had like Jordans growing up. It was always, you know, I mean, I remember when Felix came out and I wanted some and they were a hundred bucks and my mom got me Ocean Pacifics and I was like, I cannot. Oh. High tech boots were a big deal, name brand, everything. And we weren't yeah. there yet, but yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't wear this to school. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, my classmates would ruin you. I mean, it's happened plenty of times, right. but it, it was just, you know, it was in that era of what are you wearing? What do you have on? Uh, oh yeah. You know, I mean, some, I, I would look up friends down the street who, my parents were probably doing better, but you know they spent money on the on throw pillows and curtains, and so we, you know we looked like we were doing better, but the clothes were just. It's like man, I can't keep yeah. up. You know, I was borrowing clothes right, and, right. and like, hey man, can I, if you're not wearing this jacket, can I wear this starter jacket? So I remember my mom in fifth grade got me the, like a 
I think it was called a pro starter. Starter jackets were huge. And I got a pro starter. Yeah. And it was like, I used to cuff the sleeve back so you w- didn't see that I didn't have the starter logo. Oh, right. You had the pro starter. I had a pro starter. And it was, it was man, it was it was like the, everybody else had the zip up, but I had like the pullover with the big pocket in the front. And it was, oh man, it was yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> All the things we go through, because we want to, I remember like Kelvin Klein jeans, but I'm a little older than you. Yeah, yeah. But um, that was like the whole uh, thing in, in fashion and everybody had to have certain things. Did you go through things like you got involved with groups that maybe weren't as good or you kind of stayed away from that stuff? No, not really. I mean, like my group of friends were, I mean, we were, I would say at best mischievous. I mean, like by the time we got to high school and I started, you know, getting jealous of what I didn't have, it was, it was work and pay for it. But I mean, we did a lot of stealing. A lot of stealing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We go to Macy's, uh, Marshall's and TJ Maxx and stuff. And, and if we didn't steal it, we would change the the price tags, right? Oh, so the like, tickets. Yeah, we would change the price tag. Oh. So we would take like, you know, like the yellow and red um, clearance tag. So we'd take like yeah. a $4, you know, if you could peel it off, we'd walk around the store, act like we were looking, and then we'd put it on like a Tommy Hilfiger jacket. And so we'd get up to the register and they'd be like, man, this jacket's only $8. We're like, I know, that's what I had to get. I mean, it's, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we like, we, we put a clearance tag over something that was like 50, 60 Ooh. bucks, but so it was stealing, but it was, it, we still paid for it. Yeah. You paid for but it. But it was like, if they put the sticker on better, I wouldn't be able to peel it up. Oh. <laughs> so it was like, we, yeah, we switched wow. stickers and stuff. And, and, uh, like if we wanted a wallet, we just take all our stuff from our pocket, put it in a wallet and then use that wallet to take our money out to pay for something else. But meantime, we're still in the wallet oh, too. Wow. <laughs> You were smart. You were good doing it. Wow. I mean, yeah, we had some schemes back in yeah. the day. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, not always the best kid, but never anything like, you know, violent. It was just more just like, hey, man, I got to keep yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Was there that vibe in your neighborhood, the violent stuff or not as much? I mean, I, like I said, I mean, like, I, you know, I mean, we would go to the, you know, some parties and stuff and it'd be fights and stuff and, and not all the time, yeah. but occasionally, you know, you, you see that. Just and, normal. Yeah. You know, just, and then just, you know, kids hanging out and older kids come in and, and, you know, we'd be hanging out off a Memorial drive or something at like a team party or whatever. And, you know, you hear gunshots, you know, I I thought I saw, I think when I was in Chicago, I saw my first gunfight when I was 12. Oh my God. Were you, are you scared of that? Or did you, are you like, cause you don't seem like that, that tough, that, that kind that's like, look, I'm going to mess you up. Like you don't seem, you seem like a nice guy. Yeah, I've never, yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never been afraid of a fight, but luckily I haven't had to get into a lot of them. You know, so but like I, I used to work at my aunt's um, in the summer. I would go. My aunt had a, a store in uh, in the city off of Huntington Cottage Grove in Chicago, kind of like uh, uh, right across the street from the projects. So she had a little corner store and she owned like this little strip mall, like a hairdresser, dry cleaner. And she had like a little, you know, like little uh, I mean, very tiny little grocery store and just, you know, neighborhood store. And uh, a kid that she helped raise. I saw him every summer. I think by this time he's probably, I don't know, early twenties. He has a daughter and he, he was getting into, this is back when you had to take, you remember when the radios had the face you could pop off? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was like kind of that nineties era yeah. of, uh, of like, you know, when you leave the car. Oh, you take that off. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but I was, I was working the register at like 12 and I'm giving out cigarettes, a lottery tickets, all this kind of stuff. Oh. I'm selling, you know, I'm selling that kind of stuff. And then these two, uh, I'm not gonna say names, but these two guys came in and I guess they were fighting over a girl. First time I've seen it. And uh, one dude pulled a gun on uh, this other dude and he put his, you know, kind of pushes his daughter like, hey, go over there. And he didn't have a weapon on him. So he just grabbed a bottle of, I mean, literally grabbed a bottle of barbecue sauce and they were about to have it out. 
in like right in front of the register in the store. And my aunt came down the steps after seeing it and just was like, I raised both of y'all. If y'all want to kill each other, go outside. But it was, it was, <laughs> I've seen a lot of close calls and I've seen, you know, I've, I've been in a car that's been jacked. I've, I've seen, uh, you know, I've heard, I mean, I think the craziest one was, um, I was probably five, six feet away. Me and my buddy Dominique were probably five, six feet away from a dude that was, uh, was shot at a gas station after a party one night. And, uh, and you just hear gunshots and we're like, you just, you just run. Right. I mean, this is pre-cell phone. Just had to figure out yeah. where we parked and everything. And, and, uh, and then afterwards we're like, man, you can't be shooting at a gas station. That shit's <laughs> super dangerous. <laughs> you know, like you start thinking about the, <laughs> Oh my God. You know? Yeah. But I mean, it's, but I, I would say those are very rare occurrences. You know what I mean? I've seen a lot of stuff, but, um, I mean, my best friend now from high school, you know, he, he runs magic city, you know, famous strip club in Atlanta, but we grew up together. And I mean, it actually took me till last year to realize like I was one of the only dudes in my crew that had a dad there all the time. I mean, between, you know, da- mm-hmm. some dads not being around and, and uh, mm-hmm. in prison or, I mean, we were in 10th grade. My, my, my buddy's dad got, got murdered right across the street from our school. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I've seen a lot of shit, but also wow. didn't know. I mean, never really thought back about it till I mean, I had a year of contemplating last year. You know what I mean? So start looking through right. life and you see all that kind of stuff and, and you go, wow, man, it, you know, a lot of dark days, yeah. but a lot of light days too. Wow. You have a lot of interesting friends. One's that owns a strip club too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lot, free access lot, to. A lot, lot, lot of different, we went a lot of different ways, a lot of different industries. Yes, yes, yes. You got entertainment, they got strip club, they got everything. You cover all the base. You don't, I don't know. It's like, you don't seem, you seem like this very kind of clean cut guy. You don't, it's interesting to hear your background. So it's like, yeah, I it's, like to understand, you know, what yeah, people, I, mean, I, I don't, I hear from. that often and it's not, uh, I guess I don't think about it because I guess, you know, my, my friends and I from high school and college, I mean, we all still talk and everybody's doing better than how we came up. But and I think mm-hmm. that's every generation's idea, right? It's like every everybody's parents want you to do better than they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, that's yeah, cool. I mean, you know, just being around it and, and seeing it and not being involved in it so much, but also it's it's right around the corner. You know? Right, um, right. But yeah, it's, it's I, I do hear that a lot of like, oh, it didn't seem like you... I mean, even even though I went to a, a private school, it 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 was not a good one. <laughs> it yeah. was a very yeah. shitty private school. I mean, they're shut down yeah. now. I mean, there's so many scandals and all this. Like, if you ever looked that up, right. if you look up uh, Chapel Hill Harvester, oh man, the 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 headlines that you will read. I mean, it, it's really very culty. It was wild. Like, lucky I, I didn't get oh, too enthralled wow. in it. It was yeah, it was different. It was very different. Wow. What was school? Were you like a popular kid growing up? Uh. High school, I went to such a small high school that everybody was popular. Yeah. I mean, what about I, grade school? Were you a popular kid? No, I was, a, I, was in, I was probably in the middle. I wasn't like a lame kid, but I wasn't like the popular kid. Um, uh, I kind of was in the middle. I mean, I was funny, but I wasn't stylish. And girls didn't like me like me, but didn't dislike me. You know what I mean? So it was like, right. you know, I think I probably came into my own of like, you know, having like a little bit of swag, probably my junior and senior year of high school. Of high school. And then, because yeah. like I got... I got kicked out of, well, I didn't, I got, I didn't get invited back my junior year. And so my senior year, I had to go to a different school. And that's kind of like, I came from a different school. So that was different of like, oh, and that's high school was small. My graduating class was seven. Seven people. Seven. It was, I think it was the first year for a high school. This is a very small private school. Well, it sounds very fancy that you're at a private school, but you know. It was shit. 
<laughs> I mean, wonderful people, right. wonderful people. Like I would say, you know, right. all the teachers and the principal or, or the headmaster, everybody was great. But it just was like, it, yeah. it was like, it's like you ever go to a restaurant, you're like, this shouldn't be open. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you start, and that's the way. <laughs> you're like, the food is probably great, but there's no way that y'all passed the inspection. It, it was, right, was kind of right, like right. that. And I th- actually, wow. now, that I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's kind of one reason my parents weren't worried about me returning to the school I was at because some it was some accreditation shit going mm-hmm. on. And I think the senior class before me, a lot of people didn't get into college because like they didn't have the right credit. So they had to wait oh, a wow. year. So yeah, it was it was like, oh, you're getting out of here anyway. And then I had yeah. to go to a different high school that allowed me to um uh oh, get, get the right everything. credits for college. Yeah. Right. Oh wow. So then you went on to college and then you from college you became a teacher? So yeah, I graduated oh four and then I, I taught first grade for a year after college. Because uh, I was 20, I was turning 21 that summer, and and I didn't know what I was going to do. And it was like, go back to Atlanta like everybody else and go. I was like, I do not want to go live at home. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't want to go back to my parents' house. So I kind of stayed in Savannah for a year um, and worked as a work. I started off as like a permanent sub and then and then kind of took two classes and in, in, uh, did a year. And then I, right before, oh, I feel shitty about this, but right before, I want to say it was April, maybe early May. I um, auditioned for the HBO film Warm Springs with Cynthia Nixon. It had like okay. a very small part in that, but I quit like Hollywood call. <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, I'm not coming Hold back. Hold that this is when you were a teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and you got the part. Yeah, it didn't end up, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't end up making it. Um, but yeah, oh, so I oh, went to like oh. Rome, Georgia and uh, shot for like two days. I ended up on the cutting room floor. And I want to say it was okay. Cynthia Nixon and, and um, man, I, forget, I mean, that was so long ago. I forget the other actor's name, but it was HBO uh, original film. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I was like, OK, great. I'm out. Hollywood called. And then I was, you know, trying to audition for like small parts. But I had a I was working for this lady who did real estate and I was doing all her copy. I could write back then. And I was doing Photoshop and all that kind of stuff. So I was doing all her, you know, mailers and and, you know, email blasts, all that kind of stuff. And then. Through that, I kind of got this advertising gig in um, with Swivel Media in um, in San Francisco. So I moved out. Uh-huh. I moved out west. And so then you decided I'm not because sometimes you think if you go into something like teaching or substituting, like ah, you know, before you know it, you just get caught up, and ten years go by and you're still a teacher. Yeah. You know, but you were able to kind of move out of that. I just know well. One it was I, I don't know if I were in Atlanta, what would have happened, or a different city, what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But I know in Savannah. Savannah was like 70,000 at the time. Like the, the, that, the city's that big and it's just, for college it was just small enough and just big enough to, to go, oh, I can have fun here, but I don't know if I want to like live here. So just trying to figure oh, yeah. myself out after, a year after that was, was, was great. It was great. I had a little small house. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a little small house. It was like, I think two bedrooms. I mean, what was it like? Man, it might've been like 750 square feet, old school house, great big porch out front and, Nice little backyard, detached garage. I think I paid like 600 bucks a month for this house. Oh, wow. It was amazing. And then you gave it up because you got this gig in San Francisco. Well, no, I went back to Atlanta for a little bit, probably oh. probably just just shy of a year. Mm-hmm. And then I got this job and um, went to training in Chicago and then uh, moved to the West Coast for, for, for the gig, yeah. And did that just for about a year. Went back to Atlanta for six months. Started doing the promotion job, the one I mentioned in my special. Um, mm-hmm. and then I kind of got tapped by, uh, uh, someone at Anheuser-Busch and they were like, Hey, do you got a resume? You have a degree? And 
literally probably a few weeks, maybe a month after that, got a phone call and, and had a one phone interview and, and then got, and then moved on to corporate from the agency. Wow. Yeah. And so then you did that for like seven years. Yeah. So I, so I got about, I would say four promotions over seven years and, uh, yeah, so they kept me down in Miami for a few months. Uh, I was traveling a lot. It was almost like a paid internship when you first get in, right? So so they give you like this fun job of like traveling, doing events, and kind of just learning the company and and all the perks to make you go, oh, I want to do this forever. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, kind of, you know, almost like a paid-to-party thing, you right. know? I mean, you're still doing reports and learning, you know, your, your, you know, what's on your dashboard and your KPIs and your ROIs and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was great. It was great. I mean, the culture you know, a lot of fun friends and I've met a lot of people. And I mean, even to this day, I mean, uh, people that I work with, they still come out to shows. I mean, a lot of my corporate friends who still work for the company, if I'm in that town, then they'll come out. But yeah, it was, it was great. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. So then how did you decide, you know what, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to I'm gonna try stand-up? I got to Dallas 07, like fall 07. And by January 08, I decided I wanted to do... I wanted, to, I wanted to entertain, I wanted to perform, but having a corporate gig, it's not like, they weren't shooting a lot of stuff in Texas at the time. You know, I mean, it wasn't a lot of TV and mm-hmm. auditions and stuff like that. I mean, there might've been two agents that I remember. Okay. And um, yeah. and it was like, but I, but I had a need to perform and I just wanted to express myself. And it was like, the, the, the I think the easiest thing for me to do to at least get that out of my system was stand up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a selfish thing because if it works, I get all the credit, but if it doesn't work, I didn't, I didn't waste anybody else's time. Right. But stand-up isn't easy just to like step in and be like, Hey, I'm going to be a stand-up, you know? Right. But I'm also um, in a city where nobody really knows me. Oh, okay. So if it doesn't go well, I lose nothing. I see. I don't know if I would have started in Atlanta just cause like I'm from there and I know so many people there. Yeah. I don't know if I would have done it. Um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, the, the community there was, it was, I mean, probably eight clubs when I started. And then a lot of spots around town. Uh, and then I had a company car, which, oh, I mean, that's, I had free gas to just drive to every show. So, I mean, as a comic, I've never really struggled because I had a day gig. I mean, I'm going yeah. eight to six, eight to seven with clients and stuff. And then I'd leave at 7.30, go hit the open mic. And then hopefully, you know, six months after that, I'm doing kind of book shows. And six months after that, I'm doing like small towns and, you know, featuring for friends and so that that happened from I think top of 08 through eleven. Top of eleven, I was dating a girl, wasn't working out. She kind of moved from Florida to Texas to be with me, and then she didn't get the career and she had no ambition. So it was like, you gotta go. <laughs> and so as I'm as I'm driving, I was like driving her back to Florida uh-huh. in her car. Uh-huh. I was like, you I told her parents, yeah, she coming home. Okay. And uh 
she, uh, while I was, while I think we had just crossed the Texas, Louisiana border and got a call like, Hey, you're being laid off. And I was like, Oh, thank God. I was like, I've been trying to get laid off for like two years. <laughs> Yay. Like it was like, wow. it was like a reverse affirmative action. It was like, I could not get fired. Be like one of the only black people in this department out of hundreds. I could not get fired. I was trying to you get laid off. Yeah. I wanted my severance so I could like focus on comedy. Oh. And then, um, and then they finally gave me a layoff and I was like, I'll take it. And they're like, bring your computer and your car back. And I was like, I'm handling some other business right now, but when I'm back on Monday, I will bring you, I, I'll buy one of those, I just got fired brown boxes <laughs> and I will bring everything back. And then they offered me a promotion, uh, with a, with a crazy salary jump. I mean, I, I think it was probably a 40 grand salary jump and, but it, but I would have to travel about 90%. And I was like, this is going to ruin this dream of doing standup. Like I'm, I think I'm getting really good at this. And, uh, I said no to that. So that's April, 2011. And then by August, 2011, I, I, uh, I moved out to LA. Wow. So you turned down, they offered you 40,000 increase and they said, we're laying you off. Then they said, no, wait, we're going to hire you and give you 40,000 more. Right. So HR called me and then a different department called and said, Hey, you know, just, which apparently happened, you know, I mean, we went through, man, we went through at one point, a, I think this was a year prior, I think in 2010, they had a, uh, like a cattle call layoff. It was wild. We were at a conference uh-huh. and then everybody with this position had to go into a room one at a time and figure out if you're getting laid off or a promotion. And I, I beat that one. Wow. And it was like, bring your stuff in probably a hundred of us. Yeah. And then you go in one at a time, you know, your time slot yeah. and they let you know if you're going to keep a job or, you know, if you're going to move, if you're going to get transfer to something. And then a lot, it's like being on a football route, you know, right, like a football team. Right, if you're chosen. And then you just get cut. Right, right, yeah. right. And then I made that cut. I, mean, I, I probably bypassed about two or three cuts and then got to, um, but it, I didn't want to be a, uh, what was it? I think the role was a cam, uh, a. Uh, Corporate account manager? No, it was a K. It was a K. Okay. Uh, it was a, um, oh, I forgot what the fuck that stood for. <laughs> but I did not want to be a camp. Yeah. I did not want to be a camp. I mean, it was, I think my range was like between like, I mean, I was 28 years old and it would have paid me between like 91 and 110 or something like that was the range. And I was, you know, great money yeah. for my age. Right. But it's like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a beer guy. I'm not right. a sales guy. Right. You know? Wow. So then you said no to that job. They laid you off. They brought you back, said 40,000. You said no to that. And then, you, but you were making enough to just kind of keep yourself going doing stand up. I mean, I had a nice nest egg, but I oh, wasn't, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't really making money off comedy. Right. I mean, I was, I was making gas money off comedy. Yeah. But luckily, I had, you know, all those years built up yeah. of yeah. gas money and, you know, corporate cards so right. I could get dinner. I mean, I'm taking, I mean, I, I literally, like a lot of my, I guess clients really supported my career. They were, I mean, they, they would bring, I mean, my biggest clients were 7-Eleven and Circle K. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were like, you know, a lot of, a lot of black people, a lot of people of color, a lot of uh, immigrants and everything, you know, mm-hmm. who started a business. So people were like, Hey man, we, if you want to live this dream, Hey man, invite us out. We'll bring the whole family out and very, very, very supportive. That's cool. Very supportive. Wow. And it was, it was like, I could invite them before I could invite my coworkers because mm-hmm. my boss hated it, dude. My boss hated it. I mean, he was like, you can't have two jobs. And I was like, this is a, what the fuck are you talking about? This is a hobby. This it was is a it, hobby. I'm just doing this on the it, weekends. Like you go fishing on the weekends. Do you think he was jealous? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he was, I don't know. He, he looked or like just, Ron White. Or just corporate Like he just, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, jealous. I don't know if it was jealous, but it definitely 
I don't think he wanted to see me thrive at it. Like, I feel like, I feel like he just kind of had that, like, hey, your time is mine during oh, the week. Right. right. And it was, and it was, you know, I remember him saying something like, hey, man, you work for me. I was like, I kind of look at it like we work together. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we work for the same company. You don't sign my checks. And then he actually said that one time. He was like, he was like who do you think signs your checks? And I was like, not you. Motherfucker, not you. Like, you don't sign, <laughs> you don't sign my checks. You might approve it, but you don't, you right. don't sign that shit. You ain't signing that. Um, right. One time we were at a Jimmy Buffett concert because we sponsored Jimmy. And um, he was hammered. His wife apologized so many times, but he, he made me do stand up at a tailgate party while he was fucked up. And uh, it was so embarrassing. And you did it? That's when he was like, I signed your checks. You're going to do some stand-up. Oh, and so you had to, you did it. And I, and I was like, I was the, and I don't, I'm not even dirty, but I was like, I did the dirtiest set I could think of <laughs> because kids were around and I'm like, he's being a dick. And I'm just going, I mean, I did all kind of finger blasting jokes and, and just uh, blowjob and shit that I don't even do. Right. And then they cut me off like three minutes in. And I was like, yeah, that's what you get for putting, <laughs> for putting me on. That's right. You're like, so, so I never invited to shows and stuff. Yeah. And it, they've tried to reach out in the last couple of years, but I'm very petty on. I'm like, if you didn't support me, then you don't, you can't support me. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I'm, I'm very like, I don't, I don't forgive shit like that. Yeah. I hold, I hold I hold a good grudge. I mean, it's kind of, uh, that was not a cool thing for him to do, you know? I mean, right. Yeah. I, and I, I've got a feeling like even now, like he, you know, if he sees me on something or his wife sees me on something, he's like, yeah, you know, he used to work for me. And I just knowing, yeah. just knowing he says shit like he's that. Mine. Oh, fuck. I, I couldn't <laughs> he's stand still it. Mine. I couldn't stand it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you always want to do comedy and acting? Was that always yeah. the thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a huge Will Smith fan. So uh, actually, like I said, last year I did a lot of self-discovery, but I just, for some reason, uh, because of the 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 I think the theme of Fresh Prince really resonated with me. So I always wanted I always felt like Will Smith, just like family sending him mm-hmm. out of town to like have a better life, you know? And um mm-hmm. and so I really attached to that idea. And uh I was like, I'm gonna do what he's doing. And I mean I got, you know, life is happening how it happens. And so like I've I've done the the sitcoms and the and wanting to do that thing. I mean, I, my mom asked me what I wanted to do when I was 12. And I go, I want to do what Will Smith's doing. And she was like, mm. so you want to be on TV? At first, she was like, well, you want to be like a news reporter or, or something? I was like, no, no, I want to do that. What are you talking about? I want, and she was like, okay, we, we, yeah. we don't know how to do that. And it was, I mean, she she's the only reason why I went to college. I was going to just come straight to L.A. when I was 18. And she was like, if nothing else, just do me a favor. Give me four years. Go to college. Graduate. Then you can do whatever you want. And um, I... I we made that agreement, and then after that, I did my four years, and then I figured out how to how to squeeze my way into Hollywood. But you know, a lot of people go into stand up. I mean, I see it here in L.A. You see it, I'm sure, that are in the clubs, very funny, very talented, super talented, but they don't. It's that next step. Like, what? Yeah. How do you get there? Like, you know, you see so many people and some do, some get on great shows and, you know, all that stuff. But there are just some that are at the comedy store, the Laugh Factory, whatever they are. Those are the clubs yeah. here in L.A. Um, that like, what do you think? Where's that? Where's that um, jump that took you to that next level? Man, I, I had a very uh, different path. It's, it's hard when when. You know, because as soon as you book something or or get noticed for something, you know, people who are um, peers or or 
striving for the same thing, mm-hmm. ask you how you did it or your advice right. or whatever. And, and, and it's very difficult for me to give advice because I do think my, my experience is, is just very different. Uh, another comedian, uh, Mark Agee, we moved out here and became roommates, like I said, August 2011. And by September, I had booked like two national commercials, right? So I mean, I had no agent. I kind of crashed these auditions. And then uh, the end of that month, I end up doing this NBC. It was, back, back then, it was called Stand Up for Diversity. Now it's called yeah, Stand Up for Yeah, I've heard of NBC. it, yeah. Yeah. And so I end up doing that. Uh, I did it four years in a row. I did it from 08 to 2011. Every year got closer and closer. And then I kind of figured, figure, like I cracked the formula of what, they're looking for and how to be in the top 10. Cause I didn't want to win, I, but I did want to be in the top 10. So, oh, so, so like, you did it every year. Yeah. 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 So I traveled every year to, 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 you know, just chip away at this, uh, I mean, a bunch of people that I, that I respected and had great careers at the time and still do had come through their program and I didn't know how to break in. It's like, all right, it's a lot of white guys to, to sift through and a lot of great black comics to sift through and great, wonderful black actors to sift through, but like, how do I, how do I get noticed? And that, that got me noticed by NBC. And so after, um, November, December, I had a deal with NBC, uh, to be signed in January. I hadn't even been assigned, uh, in, in town six months. Wow. So I had a, I had a holding deal with, with NBC for the next year. And then within 10 months, I'm a series regular on Whitney on NBC. I mean, I hadn't been in town a year and, and I'm a lead on the show. So that was just very, it was like, people like, how did you, I'm like, ah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I played my cards, right? right? But it, but it also, I mean, I was sleeping on an air mattress, um, really just stacking, you know, saving money. We lived in a very shitty apartment, like very, very, very high in the Valley. And, uh, me and Mark did. Yeah. And, uh, luckily we never had to get jobs. You know, like I didn't have to be a waiter or a valet or, or, you know, Go find another. I actually got offered a couple jobs in the beverage industry, and I was like, "There at night." And I'm like, "If I I need my nights during the day, I might oh, think about right. it, but I need my nights." And uh, so I just turned it down. Right. I had, man, probably had, what 50, 60 grand in the bank, maybe. And I was like, I should wow. be able. I mean, if I play this right, I should be able to survive at least for like two years. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. And then stuff, you know, stuff. Because I mean, I just, you know, I, I didn't want to. I was traveling a lot, so it's not like from all my previous jobs, I was able to, to save a lot of money and, you know, for my age. And, and, uh, by the sure. time I got out here, it was, it was, this is what this was for. You know, you said I needed to crack the code with the stand up to diversity. What was that code that you, when you chipped away from eight, oh eight to 11, um, you got this one thing you knew. What well, it I was, was looking at like who had won previously and like what their story was. So it was, it was kind of like, all right, I need to, I need to prove three things in this very short six minute set, it, it was, uh, mm-hmm. it was, uh, can I be witty enough in six minutes to give them a surprise? Like, you know, just doing that 180 in a joke, you think I'm going this direction, yeah. but it's going that direction. Right. Uh, and take to have another, to have a perspective of who I am and, and kind of where I come from and just how I observe things. It's like, here's my perspective on the world and life. So that, so this is my angle and humor. And then, uh, can I create another character and do an act out? So can I show you I can write? Can I show you I can act? And can I show you I have a perspective? Like if I can do those three things in six minutes, I should have enough attention to... To get their attention. Yeah, to draw yeah. you in to go, I want to see more of him. Right. You know, I, right. I want to leave you just enough to go, man, I'd watch, I'd watch more of him. Right. So you've cracked the, the formula of like what to do to get their attention. Well, and all the guys I was, them to have I was fans of. You know what I mean? I, I would see a lot of comics I was really fans of 
in previous years of this. And so it was like, oh man, I'm a fan of that dude already. And like, they're smart and they can act and, 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 and also becoming my peers at the same time. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was, but also who do I want to be as a comedian? I want to be a storyteller. So it was, it's, it's, um, it was like, how do I do that to, 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 to drop these small nuggets on you at the same time, but, but also want you to want more. So, so, I mean, I guess it worked out in, in real time. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching the first episode with Tone Belt. It was so great speaking to him. We have so much more. Actually, we have a second episode, so I want you to tune in. He's talking all about working with Andre Day and Lee Daniels and all about his fashion and style. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to executive producer Gerardo Orlando, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Dave Douglas. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.